get to stand in his presence. We are right with God. We are now being used by God. That God has a hope for us. He has a plan for us. All these things that go with being able to stand again. And that's why we celebrate, because we know that there's nothing, nothing that can defeat the power of God. Not even death. Not even death. And so with that, I want you, if you don't mind, turn to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to use this passage as a springboard to show you something. I, I want to do something totally different today. Normally around Easter, normally I, we, the, the Lord gives me either some cool videos or, or something different. Uh, I just want to come straight from the Word of God. Is that okay with you today? Just straight from the Word of God because I believe it is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And I want this, I just want this resurrection day just to be around the very presence of Jesus. So Luke chapter 24, verses uh, 17 through 27, all the notes are on Facebook right now at Summit Church. All, all the notes are on summitcharleston.com, the church's website. So I invite you to engage through those and maybe take that and, and pray with that. Uh, here we go. Luke chapter 24, verses 17 through 24, or 27. Verse 17. He asked them, Jesus asked these two men that are walking down this road, on the road to Emmaus, a couple miles away from Jerusalem. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now this is on the very day that Jesus was resurrected. Jesus appeared to many people, but we get this snapshot. It's not just the, the, the women that were at the tomb. When the angels spoke to them, it's not when they ran into Jesus. It's not when Peter comes rushing the tomb. But a little bit later on, Jesus appears to these disciples, and he says, what are you discussing as you walk along? Check this out. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. I feel like Jesus is talking to me because <laughs> elevator doesn't make it all the way up. Don't judge me. All right, so slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, and I am slow to believe. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then now this next verse, this next verse is where the Lord spoke to my heart, did the best I can understand the Holy Spirit, that he wants us to engage God today. Not in a big show, not in lights, not in smoke, not in all kinds of stuff, but just engage this way. Check out what Jesus did at his resurrection. He didn't come with lights. He didn't come with smoke. He didn't come with this holy fire. So he does come with the Spirit, so check this out. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I'm not going to take on that endeavor today except that I am going to go back and look at some scriptures. I'm going to go back a little bit further than Moses, but I'm going to end with Moses. To where maybe, just maybe, we see these glimpses of Jesus in a powerful way. Would you pray with me? Father, it is my prayer today that people see Jesus. That we don't see anything else. We don't see a, a great service because we're not the ones that are be served, but you are. It is my prayer, Lord, that today that people don't, don't see uh, any type of um, wise and persuasive words. It is my prayer today that people don't come and say, oh, wow, that he sings well or she plays well. Lord, may, maybe we come today just to say that Jesus is enough. And that he makes us stand again when our knees are weak, when our ankles are broke, and when we have no hope, that there is a resurrection, and because of the resurrection, we can stand again, though the righteous man may fall seven times. I praise you, Jesus, that you get us back up. And there's nothing that can hold us down, not even the grave. Because as the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's nothing that can hold us back, yet we hold ourselves back in many ways. So today, may we just see Jesus. That is my prayer. That you be high and lifted up. That you'll draw men unto you. We ask this in the name of the resurrected one, our Savior. In Jesus' name we all said what? Amen. So let me give you some things here. Here we go. Number one, uh, to stand again or the resurrection. To stand again means the resurrection covers our shame. I'm, Jesus started with Moses, but I want to back up just a little bit more. Back up. I, this is what I love about the resurrection. It covers our shame and you're going, but John, what does that mean? Why is that so powerful? Let me give you a, 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 an example of this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, I, I want to use a, a very loose translation in this because I like the way it said. A, at the moment... Genesis 3, 7 says this, at that moment, talking about Adam and Eve, at that moment, at the moment that they took of the fruit and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment their eyes were open and suddenly they felt, what saints? What was it? Say it again. At their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Now, get this, right now, at the moment that they bit into the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said don't do, they felt shame. There was this separation. I love what Victor Hamilton said. Instead of knowing good and evil, the couple now knows they are naked. Hardly the knowledge for which they bargained. In other words, what happens, he, Jesus is so powerful that we were stuck in shame. Now, some people would say that's a God-sized void and all this other stuff, and it is. What's interestingly about this whole part is that what was formerly understood, understood to be a sign of a healthy relationship, he said, between a man and a woman has become something unpleasant filled with shame. I'll show you. Genesis 2.25. This is really good stuff, by the way. I want to give you some really good, deep stuff. Genesis 2.25 says this. As, as God, God presents Eve, right, to Adam, then all of a sudden we see in Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no what, saints? None. See, when God is in the middle of it, it don't matter. 
It don't matter. So there was Adam and Eve, and there was no shame. But when they had sinned, there was shame. But I want to tell you something. Here's what's great about the resurrection. The resurrection overcomes every bit of shame. It overcomes every bit of guilt, every bit of this condemnation, everything, the resurrection comes over. Living in shame means the loss of innocence. It's when you know you've done wrong, right? You know there's this God-sized void, and you try to fill it. So when you do something wrong, what you try to do is you try to fill it with everything else. But there's only one, there's only one thing, one person that can fill the God-sized void of the hole that's left because of the sin, and his name is Jesus. You can make your God-sized void whatever you want it to be. If you want it to be a car, a career, a, 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 a spouse, or you want it to be cash, whatever you want that God's, you can make it, but it will never, ever satisfy. Not like Jesus. You see, there was no shame when God was in the center, but when God was not in the center, there was shame. As Genesis 3, 7 says. So then I love this, when it means this loss of innocence. Hamilton says we attempt to alleviate the problem ourselves. So this guilt will drive us, this God-sized void. There's just something missing, and that's what the world is looking for. There's something missing, so I got to get up and get on my boat, or I, I got to get out and go just spend some time hunting, or I got to, you know, just try. And those are all great things. If you, if, those are great things, but they are not the thing. They, they're not the one thing that's going to give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. So in other words, what happened, the shame, rather than driving them back to God, their guilt led them to their own self-atoning, self-protecting procedure. So they come up with this. They said, we must cover ourselves. In other words, we try to deal with our shame. Are, y- are y'all tracking me today or am I, am I going somewhere you ain't going? Right? Are, are we going to Golden Corral together or what? All right. So, all right, so uh, here's what I'm trying to guess. Yeah, some of you got a visual. Right. Right? There's no shame in my game there because God is with me. So you can eat all you... Well, never mind. All right, so what happens is that you, we try to fix our own shame. We try to fix this God-sized void. We try to do something about it. This is good, deep stuff. Going back in the Scriptures, Jesus showed him. So today, I felt like God was saying, go back in the Scriptures, John. Show them what I've done. So what did Adam and do? Adam and Eve did. They took fig leaves. The fig leaves... Now, here's what's interesting. They were the largest leaves of any tree that grew in Palestine. Fig leaves were the largest leaves that grew in Palestine. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that, that it was a fig leaf that they used in, in the garden. I, I don't know that. It says it, they strung fig leaves, so it could have been the ones there in Palestine. The fig leaf produces the largest leaves of any tree that grows in Palestine. And if such large leaf trees were in the garden, then the cup would choose those that provide the most coverage, Hamilton said. So what they did is they picked the biggest thing they could find, the biggest and best thing they could find, and they covered themselves, they covered their shame. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what I do? Isn't that what I do when I feel shame? I try to find the biggest and best way to cover it up. Hmm? Now, the biggest and best way. I try, I'd say, God, you know, if I, let me break it down for you. This word is really interesting. This word is translated as an apron in Hebrew. Um, in other places in the Old Testament, it's translated as a woman's dress or the belt of a warrior. And as soon as I read that, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, John, that's it. In other words, if it's a woman's dress and what we try to do to cover ourselves is, ladies, if I could just look good enough, 
Men, if I, if I could just look good enough. Now listen, I'm all about going. Y'all know Nicole's mom uh, owns Sandalwood and Nicole. What is that called that she is? What is that with the face? Y'all help me out. What is it? Yeah, esthetician. See, I can't even spell it, so don't even ask. And it's, you know, we always, so Nicole, you know, that's what they do. Listen, I'm all about your waxing. Okay, I told you, I went there one time and Nicole made fun of me and she said, come on, John, man up. And I was scared. And so she, she said, I want to wax your eyebrows. And listen, men, I'm sorry. I lost my manhood. I just, I'm sorry. I lost every man code. man. So I, you know, she was making fun of me. And Nicole's up here, you know, Nicole's up here seeing and they pray for us. And so she's like, come on. She's like challenging my manhood. So I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll take that challenge. So it's a real nice place. Now, I want you to know in Somerville, it's very nice. It's got the ambiance and the salad wraps and everything's nice. And it's, you know, and you're like, this is not man. This is not a man. So I said, I'll do it. I'll go in there and do it. Uh, Yeah, you challenge me. She's like, man up. I said, I'm a man up. I'm a man up. So she puts me down on the table, right? And then she takes this black tar or sludge and a big old stick, and she begins to put it on my eyebrows, I start screaming. Ah! She goes, oh, shut up. I didn't even start it yet. I didn't know, you know, so I was screaming like a little girl. And then she began to violently, see, she, 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 she wants to act like, you know, she's going to have a baby and John and everybody's love. That's great. But violently began to rip hair off of my face. Um, I felt violated at that point. I thought, um, this, is, this is it. This is the lowest point of my pastoral career. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. But I understand that, you know, and she's like, oh, it looks good. And for a week later, I had red lines right here. Can I get a witness from somebody? Red lines. John, and I lied. John, what's wrong with it? It's just the rash. Just the rash. Just the rash. I lied. Forgive me, Lord. You, you know, I mean, I just want you to know that. So I'm all about wanting to look good, but in this idea of when you're shaming and they made fig leaves, and so that word is translated other parts of the Old Testament as an apron or a dress or, or, or a warrior's belt. So let me just break it down for what it means to us today. Is It means that we try to make ourselves look good and cover up what we can't cover up. We, we can't cover up or what only Jesus can cover up. So I, I'm all about wanting you to look good. If you want to look good, go ahead at it. Go, go do your thing. Do it. I mean, I'm all about it. But the bottom line is, is this, that you can only take yourself so far. You, you can. There's nothing to do. So we try to look good for the world so the world will embrace us and say, that's it. That's what it's all about. But here's what I've noticed. And I begin to look at that. That if I can just look good enough, my life will change. Or if I can just become man enough. If you have a warrior's belt, you're a man of authority. So man, let me talk to you for a moment. So what, here's our fig leaves today. We want to be a man of authority. We want to be a good athlete. We want to have lots of money. We want to have lots of power. We want to have authority. We want to have that thing because we know women are drawn to security. So if we have all the security, Security, and then we have all the women. Okay, I got one man who would not say a word. Every man was like, John, man, don't say that, man. Call me out. But that's it, man. So we wear a warrior's belt. I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, at whatever it is. You're the smartest, you're this, or you're that. That's the same fig leaf we're sewing on each other. We're just sewing fig leaves on. And you know what happens to fig leaves? They rot, they die. 
They're not eternal. There's only one that can give us what we really need. There's only one who can cover our shame, and his name is Jesus. And so I try to cover myself with feelings. I try to, try to be as academic as I can or, or try to be whatever, it is, look good, whatever, whatever you want to shoot for that's going to give you that, that righteous feel so you can have and you can give back your money and do whatever you want to do. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when Jesus died on that cross and he was resurrected, which sealed and said everything that he said he was going to do, the greatest, the greatest sign, there, there is no other signs. There is no other signs. Atheists want to say, well, if there, it was miracles that proved Jesus who he was, why doesn't God do a miracle today? It's called the hiddenness of God and theological concept. There's no greater miracle than the resurrection. My, my resurrection pales in comparison and doesn't even measure to someone who is sinless. And so when Jesus died on the cross, we get his righteousness. You didn't earn it. You can't keep it. Once you receive Jesus, you have it forever. You can't fall out away from God because Jesus' righteousness speaks forever and ever and ever. And if his word and his righteousness ever stop speaking, then he is not eternal and he's not God. But his righteousness. So we become the righteousness of God because... Jesus is our righteousness. We stand in front of Jesus. We stand in front of God and God receives us and loves us because of the blood of Jesus. That's why Revelation says he's, at the, he's the lamb. He's in the center of the throne as the lamb looking as if slain. He's constantly reminding Jesus of, of God of the righteousness. Constantly reminding him of his blood that was shed. John 6, 28 through 29. I was in my quiet time this week and the Lord showed me this. I said, man, I'm going to use this in the, in, in, the, in the message. Then they asked him this. They asked Jesus. In John chapter 6, this is what they asked Jesus, the, the people that followed him, that he fed, all these people. What must we do to do the works God requires? That's what most people ask. John, what do I do? Okay, I, I, what do I need to do to get right with God? I, I've never given my life to the Lord. What do I need to do to get right? There's nothing you can do. Well, isn't there a special prayer? No. No. I just know you confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart, you turn and follow Jesus. That's all I know. That's all I know. Well, people say special prayers. You can, listen, by the time you pray the prayer, you've already been saved. Now, y'all ain't believing me because, you know, it's God who does the work in the heart. He's the one who awakens the spirit. So you, you're not believing. You think I get the prayer. Listen, you already say the prayer just validates out of the mouth. Jesus said the heart. Come on, man. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. You ready? Here's the big holy moment. To believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's it. Our whole life. Now, how we live is in response to the power of the holiness of God. We love. We give. We forgive. We, we try to help. We serve. We give people mercy is in response to the transforming power of Jesus Christ as we become more like the little Christ or the Christians that we are called. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's why Romans 8.1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Then verse 2 says this, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death.
It's the righteousness of Jesus. Once you surrender, once you surrender, once you surrender, you can't change your salvation. Well, John, can you out your salvation? No. Because it's the righteousness of God that saves you. It's not your works that save you. It's not a big scale that says your works are not. This is not Islam. This is not Islam where, you, where they stand in judgment of works. We stand in judgment of Jesus Christ. And it was his work. So, all the people that want works, Revelation says you get the great white throne. And you'll be judged by your works and you'll be compared to Jesus. And he's the only one who scored 100. So, to stand again means the resurrection covers our shame. Stop sowing fig leaves. Number two, to stand again means the resurrection seals our relationship with God. We're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. Our whole call today, our whole invitation today, see, at it, Summit, this is what we do. Let me just break some down. Ecclesiology, that's the study of the church. Ecclesia, the called out ones. Okay, that's fancy enough language. All right, here's what I'm trying to say is this, is that we're going to come and take the Lord's Supper, and we believe this at Summit. We believe this. This is part of who we are in identity, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to partake of this. You don't have to be a member. It's some churches and some denominations some other they, they believe you have to be a member we say who are we to stop a child of God that is not our call but this is what this means and so Wednesday night we had the Lord's Supper in here and I just want to give you a little bit about it just telling you what's going on when you take that bread and you take that juice this is what it means that this is what it means to stand again to stand again means the resurrection seals our relationship with God and this is a visual and experiential example of our relationship with God it's based off the Passover. They call the Jewish Seder. Seder means order. And so what they would do is they would get up and they would read Exodus chapter 6. So when Jesus took the Lord's Supper with the disciples, when they went to that upper room, they would start out with chapter 6, verse 6. And he would start with this first cup. It's called the cup of life or the cup of the new life. And he would say, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. And so they would drink the cup, this first cup. And they would say, we have a new life. In other words, there's no more beatings. There's no more brick making. There's no more babies being thrown in the Nile. I can imagine if Jesus used this passage with those two guys walking to the road to Emmaus, one of them Cleopas. I can imagine if he used this. He's saying, listen, when you're with Christ, when you're with the Messiah, you're not in the same place when you were in your bondage and sin. Can I get a witness on that? We are not in the same place. We ask, like I told him Wednesday night, hey, listen, I, I, I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. You see, that's, that's the point there, is that there's a new life. We're in a promised land. And so they visually did that. It's not like this Renaissance art that's so off. It's not a table. I'm sorry if you've got this at home. Please forgive me. Take it to a yard sale and sell it. Okay? And then give the money to Ethiopia. All right, so here, here's what I'm saying. It's not a table with a bunch of people side by side that look feminine. And then Judas is like, you know that. And, and in the, that's not the way it was. It was a U-shaped, U-shaped tables close to the floor with almost there were pillows where they were reclining. Because you see, they, they took it in the Exodus. In the Exodus, they took it standing because they had to go. 
They, were took, it, they took it in Egypt. It, 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 they were leaving. They were standing up as they would take the Jewish Seder or the Passover meal. They, would, they were standing. But in the promised land where the presence of God was, they were resting and reclining. We are resting. When we take this, we are resting in the presence of Jesus. Stop trying. Your trying means you don't trust. You keep trying to earn favor with God. You can't earn favor with God. You already have it. For God so, she said it, loved the world. He loved us before we ever tried to love him. So they would drink that. We're in the promised land. They reclined it. They reclined it. You go back and read the scripture. You go back and read what Peter said. Hey, gee, hey, John, who, who's going to betray Jesus? And, and John is reclining on the chest of Jesus. They were climbing because they were in the promised land. The promised man meant the presence of Jesus. So the second cup they took was the cup of deliverance. So they read the next part of verse 6. He says, I will free you for being slaves to them. See, we've been set free. We, we've been freed from deliverance and bondage. We're not bound in our sin anymore. Huh? We're not bound by sin. Yeah, we all sin, but sin has no hold when it's been defeated. See, when you take this bread, the reason why it tastes... All right, reason why it tastes that way is because it's unleavened, right? It means it's not represented sinless. See, when you take that bread, Jesus said, the bread is my body. First Corinthians 11, he's quoting in the Gospels, this is my body which is broken for you. When you take that, it's sinless. It's a reminder that Jesus' sinlessness becomes our sinlessness. So we stand in front of the Lord. Remember the new covenant, the resurrection seals our relationship with God. We are sinless in the eye of Christ. Eyes of Christ. You said, but John, how is that? Go back to what I told you earlier. It's the righteousness of Jesus. We get it credited to us. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It started with the covenant in Genesis chapter 12. And goes all the way through and the prophets talk about it. Jeremiah says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Ezekiel talks about the covenant. He's going to write it on our hearts. And so that's when he says, remember me, it's the sinless bread, it's the sacrifice, it's the offering. So when he says this, when you leave Egypt, you've left behind the sinlessness. That's what it means to repent. When you're eating that, it's like, okay, God, I've repented, I've turned from my life, and I'm following your life. Your life is now my life. I've left behind the things of old. I've left behind the things that used to hold on me. Because of Jesus' sinlessness, Ray Vandalin said, sin has been broken in our lives, and we have freedom to leave it behind. Amen and amen. Then the third cup says this. They read it again with Jesus and the disciples. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I imagine Jesus saying, this, the, the resurrection sealed the redemption. This was the cup of thanksgiving. In the Catholic faith, they call this the Eucharist. From the Greek word Eucharisteo. And so they would lift the cup, the chalice, and the priest would lift it up and pray and say, thank you and thank you and thank you, this third cup of blessing. And, it, and, it's, and it's good and that's fine. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. It's the, it's the cup of redemption. It's the cup that he's bought us. In other words, it is the meal is finished. The idea behind that, God redeems us so we don't even look like Egypt. We don't even look like the way we used to look like. We've been redeemed. We've been bought. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that we can do. He has taken us for himself. He says, I will clean you up. Luke 22, 20 said it this way. In the same way after supper, this is... 
He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then the last cup, the last cup they drank there, the last cup, which is where Jesus is going to explain his death that leads to his resurrection. The last cup was the cup he did not drink. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Luke twenty-two eighteen, 18, he says, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is the cup he did not drink. It was the fourth cup, the cup of protection. And so what we do today is we get to drink the cup of protection. Let me put it this way. The disciples, except Judas, all drank the cup of protection, but Jesus didn't. The cup of protection was the cup of judgment. See, it says this in Exodus chapter 6, the idea behind that says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. In other words, I'm going to be your God. I am going to protect you. Come under the shadow of my wings. The, 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 the righteous run into the strong tower of the Lord. And they're saying, come into my protection. But Jesus didn't drink of the cup of protection. And that is why he suffered so we didn't have to. He became unprotected so we could be protected. That is why today we celebrate our salvation forever and ever and ever with Jesus. I know we've got a lot to clean up in our lives. I know there's a lot of transformational process that God needs to work on. I understand all that part, but he's just trying to say, if you'll just walk with me and get out and live into the kingdom mindset, then I will begin to transform you. So Jesus didn't drink it. It was called the cup of hell. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying. He felt unprotected. Why do you think on the cross he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't drink it. He didn't drink it. But we get a chance to drink it. So we get love. We get salvation and redemption. And we get mercy. So, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for one's friends. Can you imagine he's drinking every time he got beat, every time he got slapped, every time he got spit on, every time he got whipped, every nail. Can you imagine? He drinks the whole cup to the last drop, and then he says, it is doesn't it make sense it's not rocket science the Bible's not rocket science we make it that way so knowledge puffs up but love builds up Jesus explained the scriptures on the road to Emmaus he drank every drop and the cup was empty and just as Robbie read earlier in Isaiah 53 surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we consider him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds or stripes we are we all like sheep have gone astray let me just put it this way in Romans 3.23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of all of us. And because of the resurrection, our relationship with Jesus is sealed. So if I'm in a car, and and I'm in a car accident, and I die, and right before I die, I drop a cuss word. 
Or what if I come home and my wife is, I ask my evangelism classes this all the time. Can I, will you give me, will you give me three minutes, four minutes? Will you, yes or no? I'll cut it off. All right, and listen, I, this is what I tell my evangelism classes right now. I tell them, so sorry for the graphic. This ain't Disney. Get ready. Parents are squirming. Don't worry, I got a seven-year-old right there. It'll all be all right. He'll be in therapy. All right, so um, he'll go with me. All right, so I, so I tell my, what if I walk in? I make up this thing. What if I walk in and then my wife is, is cheating on me? And so I grab the guy and I begin to punch him and hit him and I'm kicking him and she's screaming at me and all of a sudden she jumps on the back of my, my, my shoulders and I go, boom! Teeth go flying, she drops on the ground, blood's everywhere. I am just screaming and I am cussing at her and I am yelling and I have a massive heart attack and die. Am I going to hell? Am I? Whew, got kind of quiet. I ask every class that. I want to tell you that I don't have to repent of my sins at that moment when Jesus Christ already paid the price for my sins at this moment. John, does that give you a license to sin? No. Paul said it this way. Shall I go on sinning so that grace may abound more? So may it never be. But I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is not dependent upon my, my reflection in my heart and asking for forgiveness. When he's already forgiven me, I am forgiven. When I sin and I say, God, forgive me, I'm just acknowledging that I'm in sin. Because you see, a Christian who sins is not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a Christian who sins and says he didn't. So if I'm caught in the act of adultery and you come to me and say, John, you're in the act of adultery, and I say, no, I'm, I'm good. That's hypocrisy. You catch me in the act of adultery, and I say, man, I've sinned. That's repentance. You see, that's what you've got to understand about the cross, and I have to give an account for every word. I'm accountable for your souls, not your salvation, your soul, your mind, emotions, and will. Go back and read it in Hebrew. Accountable for your souls. So the words that I say today, I am responsible for. They're not, they can't be flippant. They can't just be out there because I get judged on this stuff. Because James 3.1 says I'm under stricter judgment than you. So am, am, I, am I sinless at that point? Yes, because of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Now listen, I, I couldn't earn my way before I gave my life to Christ. And I can't earn my way to keep it after Christ. See, that's why you've been set free, and that's why you have this. And let me do the last thing. Some of you are going, man, he is crazy. Well, okay. The last one means stand, to stand again means the resurrection destroys hopeless. So can you imagine for 40 years, Moses was as good as dead to the Israelites? He says he began with Moses in Luke chapter 24. Moses was as good as dead when he ran out of Egypt after he killed the Egyptian soldier. Soldier. For 40 years, he was in the wilderness as a shepherd. Those are detestable to Egyptians. Go back and read in Genesis. He had no purpose. He served with no meaning for 40 years. But God had a purpose in Moses' wandering. God has a purpose in your wandering. You're not wandering when you're trying to retool yourself. God has a purpose in what's going on. God had a transformational moment in the midst of his shepherding. In that moment at that burning bush, he was waiting for all those people in Egypt to get ready. And then he would send his deliverer. He had a divine moment. When all was but lost, God stepped in. 
Moses was useful. It changed him. The resurrection destroys hopelessness. Hebrews 11.25 says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded, the, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And that's what we do. We look ahead to our reward. That's what the cross does. That's what the Lord's Supper does. The Lord's Supper reminds us of what we've done. So here's the application Don't go back to dead things. Don't go back to dead things. I love Luke 24, 5 through 6. This is how we end. You ready? We're landing the plane. This is it. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. This is when they came to the tomb. And they saw the angels. The stone had been rolled away. This is what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share with you today. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is what, saints? You see, the Lord showed me Jesus is not in the place he has already defeated. Don't go back to dead things. Don't go back to the empty tomb because Jesus isn't there. Don't go back to your dead ways. Jesus isn't there. You've been, you've been redeemed. You've been bought. You've been sealed. You've been, you've been sealed by the resurrection. The resurrection covers your shame. You don't have to work it out. God's already done it. The resurrection seals our relationship with God. That's what we're celebrating today. And the resurrection gives or destroys hopelessness because there's nothing dead in Christ. Because he can get back the years the locust stole. So today, here's how we kind of take the Lord's Supper as a family. We're at Summit, so we didn't, y'all know the rules. We didn't have enough fancy, we didn't have enough money to buy the fancy silver with the crosses on top. And people have given money, and I praise the Lord for that, and we bought some. But what we're going to do today is this, is we're going to take a moment. So I'm going to ask Robbie if you'll come up here and play. What we're going to do is we're going to take a moment. I want you to come and you're going to come forward and get the juice and the bread. And then you're going to get with your family or a group of people. And then I want you to begin to just read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just some short verses. Just some short verses where it says this. In verse 23... 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Somebody just take the lead and do this. Somebody take the lead and pray. I, listen, I, I know some of you are saying, but this is weird, John. Yes, the flesh doesn't like it, but the Spirit loves it. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, the third cup, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so then we're just going to take a moment here in a moment and do that. But before we do that, I want us to pause and reflect. I want us to pause and reflect because he says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever, excuse me, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body 
of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we, uh, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are being judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So if you need to ask somebody for forgiveness, do it. You need to leave, after you leave here, go and call somebody and say, man, I'm sorry. Even if they have something against you and you didn't do anything wrong, trust me, it happens to me all the time. If you, you know, spend some time with the Lord and say, God, there's some sin in my life and I, that you're bringing and I, I need to ask forgiveness and I need to change. Great, that's good. That's good. Remember, it's the righteousness of Jesus that saves you. You don't stand on your works or your righteousness or your merit. But when we identify with our sins, we say, yes, God, thank you for showing me. That's conviction and that's good. And we walk in it and allow the Lord to change us. But today we celebrate in the most holy moment to take the Lord. So I, could, I couldn't think of any better way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then I'm going to pause. And I want you to spend time with Jesus in your seats. And then I'm going to pray for us again and I'm going to ask you to come and eat. Now some of you I know might not be physically able, so maybe somebody might wants to come and get some and take it to you. Some of our ushers and deacons will be willing. They're going to come and they're going to be able to take it and help you. But I want us to take it as a family. So if you want to go back in your seats, take it. You want to get off to the sides and take it, whatever you want to do. If you take it up here, you can leave your cups on the table, whatever you want to do. We'll take care of that. But let's take it together as a family. Get with some friends. Nobody take it alone. If you've given your life to Jesus, you surrender, come take it. If you haven't and you're checking him out, I just want to tell you today. He did it. And you can't do anything to keep it or earn it. Isn't Jesus good? He is good. Father, we come and we just examine ourselves here. Uh, we just want to take a moment and, and look at ourselves and ask for forgiveness. So I, w- I want to kind of demonstrate this, Lord. Lord, if I've sinned against anybody in this room today, I ask for forgiveness. I'm sure I have in many ways. Lord, how I've sinned against you, I ask for forgiveness because I, I want you to identify those so that your spirit can then motivate me to change that behavior. So I can just show people Jesus. It's not that I get to stand in your presence any better. It's just I get to show your presence better. So I pray today, Lord, that you would forgive me and forgive my family and forgive us. Thank you for the resurrection that we can stand again in the presence of Jesus. So Lord, we just want to bow and take this time and and reflect and ask for forgiveness, make things right in our lives. If there's someone in this room that doesn't know you, all I know, Lord, in response to what you're doing in their heart, they can with their mouth say, I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. Because I believe in my heart that God, you raised him from the dead on the third day. And now I turn from the way I'm living and I follow you. And and I don't know what all this means, Lord. But there's something inside me that says this is better than anything else. And I trust you. So, Lord, if they've done that, may they let us know so we can begin to give them some discipleship material and begin to get them plugged in. And so we take this time, we reflect, and spend time with you. In Jesus' name.
Lord, I pray that people are making it right with each other and with you. So, Lord, I invite them right now, even as I'm praying, to come forward, to grab some bread and grab some juice as Robbie plays and sings over us and we go off to the sides and our groups. And even if we're with people we don't know, what a great way to be a part of the family of God. Thank you, Father, for the bread that reminds us of our sinless Jesus, that reminds us that he did what we could not do. When he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And we thank you for the cup, the cup where you said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Father, we do this today, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The past, present, and future collide at the Lord's Supper. And we say, come quickly. We are yours, and we love you in Jesus' name. Would you come? Go ahead and come out of your seats. Grab a piece of bread, cup. There'll be people that'll take it to you. If you stay seated and you can't come, there'll be people that'll take it to you. Get with a group of people. Get off to the side. Go back to where you were. Circle up. Pray. Let the word of the Lord accomplish what he has set out to do for he is good his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth through all generations because Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and were enemies in the minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Would you sing over